So this episode is our first episode, mm-hmm. and we felt like this was an appropriate place to start. It is all about how to talk about your mental illness or the things that you struggle with with your friends and family, which can be really intimidating and hard and highly vulnerable. I think the most important thing you said there was this is our first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So please be patient. (laughs) We're rusty. (laughs) There's a lot of ums. There's a lot of thumping. There's a lot of mm ing. So We're bad. Working on, it. working on it. Yeah. So give us some grace. Uh, we are in the mindset that this is not going to be perfect, mm-hmm. but putting it out there is more imper- important than it being perfect. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy this and we hope it gives you some tools. Um, let's dive in. Let's do it. Welcome to One Fry Short, you know, of a happy meal. I'm Jamie Spielmaker. And I'm Rachel Wynn. We're just two women having candid and empathetic conversations about mental health and how we can support each other. We are not experts. Not even close. But if you want to feel less alone in your neuroses, you've come to the right place. So today we're going to talk about I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, me too. I think it'll be helpful. Today, we want to talk about how to tell a loved one that you are struggling with mental illness. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel very overwhelmed and scared to tell their loved ones that they're struggling. Why is this? Well, I think it's part of the stigma with mental health. Yeah. I think the older generation... I was scared to tell my parents because it was such a thing that you didn't talk about before mm-hmm. that, I, you know, it, it's more common now. I don't know. It, it, I feel like they're limited in their capabilities of understanding it because mm-hmm. of the, the culture at that time when they grew up around it. Mm-hmm. But then also because you don't quite know how to define it yourself. Sometimes you don't quite know how you're feeling, what it means. Is this a phase? I used to call it a funk. And so and you kind of don't want to burden people. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was like researching this, how to tell your loved ones that you have depression was the second Google search hit under how to tell your loved ones you have cancer. This is insane to me. Is that insane? Yeah. People need help with it. But also like you would tell a loved one that you had a heart condition or yeah. that, oh, I just went to the doctor and- my, this, this thing is low. I don't even know. <laughs> this level is low. This level is low. Yeah. Um, or, oh, I'm, I'm doing this diet right now to help with it. It's an illness. I know. And yeah. So <clears throat> I can see how the stigma around that, which hence why we're here is trying to help that. But man, I know. I that, mean, that's interesting. It's, I mean, telling the most trusted people in the world that we're like, you know, not well is like more of a struggle than you think it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the byproducts of depression is isolation. Yeah. So I actually, we watched this show called Alone last night. Have yeah. you heard of it? Oh my <laughs> God. It. it was terrible. It gave me nightmares oh. because 
What is the premise? These people are insane. So the premise is from my very short time watching it. I had to remove myself from the room. <laughs> Did it make you anxious? It made me, yeah. I was grossed out. I was like, I can't have this be in my brain right before I fall asleep at night. Um, Do you have a very um, impressionable psyche? Yes. If something, so Claire can never listen to this episode because we'll have to walk her to the psychiatric ward. I found a snake, a tiny snake that slithered its way in between bricks on the outside of our house leading into our garage. And I was like, now that I saw that, that is going to consume my nightmares for the next week. And sure enough, I've had a dream about a snake every night. Oh my God. Yeah. Last night watching this show didn't help, but I mean, it's pretty interesting. So it's, it's survivalist. There are people who get dropped in the middle of, in this place, it's in Canada and they have to survive with the 10 items they brought in their surroundings, like things that they find. They're trying to fight off wildlife, the climate. They're trying to find shelter, food. Sounds, why would anyone watch that? <laughs> <laughs> what am I missing? I thought it would be different. These people were all like big game hunters. Like, you know, I thought it would be more like, people who respected the land and they would forage and like ate blueberries and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was a little different. Hence why I left the room, but it started off with this quote that just reminded me of that. And it said, actually I wrote it down. Cause I want to forget it. The worst cruelty that can be inflicted on a human being is isolation. Mm. We just went through this in 2020. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to give more credit to our mental illness, especially if it spiked in the last two years, for the incredible isolation that we just went through. Yeah. I mean, I think about this all the time, but I predominantly work from home. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first like five years of my professional life, I worked in a newsroom with Mm -hmm. hundreds of people around me. Mm -hmm. And I was really close with my coworkers. And now my coworker is my dog. (laughs) I don't talk to people. And I wonder sometimes if that's a contributing factor to like, it could be, it definitely could be. It helps. So that's kind of how I manifest my depression is I isolate. I just want to sleep. I want to be in bed at night. I, the thought of going out sounds terrible to me. Um, but then my neighbors will say, let's go do a girl's night. And it's like, oh, I don't want to go. And then I go and I'm much better. You feel better. Yeah. yeah. So getting your, you know, taking that step is the first big step. But I think telling your loved ones you're depressed makes, is at the point where you've already realized that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not, you might know what it is. You might not. Do you suggest people tell their loved ones when they feel comfortable enough with it? Or do you think, because it's a very vulnerable state to be in. Yeah. And it's very personal. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people out there who don't really believe in telling their business. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people believe that and feel that their private matters are their private matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in order to heal and to survive depression, You have to be able to tell people. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry about that, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, it gives you the ability to have a support group. Yeah. By telling. Yeah. Um, That's funny. I did not want to tell anyone when I started taking my meds. I didn't even tell my husband. When did you start taking meds? Um, It was... 
I started doing therapy during like during the pandemic. So I was like, this is it was summer, which weirdly enough, I'm depressed every summer compacted with are you? I'm depressed January through March. Well, also that too. Summer and winter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucked for two seasons out of the year. <laughs> I need it to be perfectly crisp in order to be happy. I'm very happy in the fall. Yeah. There's something to it. And it was summer compounded with um with COVID and the second spike around November. So I saw a therapist and that just wasn't helping for like four months. And I just like, it was helping, but I just wasn't out of it. Mm -hmm. And so I got on Prozac and I didn't even tell my husband and tell my mom. Cause I was like, I felt shame around it. I kind of wanted to see how it would go. Why did you feel shame? Because I fell victim to the stereotypes that it would numb you, that it was a weakness, that I didn't work hard enough in therapy, that I, I couldn't bounce out of it. And as a sensitive person, I thought it would numb me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and so I just didn't want to tell anyone yet. I needed to figure that out on my own. But my family is very, we're close. And my mom is so intuitive. And she, I was having panic attacks with the Prozac. It was not working. Mm-hmm. My heart was beating like I just wanted to lay down, but I couldn't fall asleep because I was like shaky. And so I was on day five and my mom was like, something's not right with you. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just having a lot of anxiety around like the pandemic. We are going out to eat inside for the first time. (laughs) We had been vaccinated, but it's still, you know, it was. And I was like, maybe that's why I feel this way. And she's like, are you taking medicine? Are you taking something different? And I was like, how did she know? So I told her and then she just cried and she would just look at me and cry. And I think she felt she failed me. And interesting enough, that's the same conversation when I told my husband, when I finally, it was three months after my son was born, when I finally told him I'm depressed, it was the same. They take it personally that they didn't do enough for you to make Mm. you happy. And they, it's now I can look at it and say, that's what was happening. But in the moment you just want someone to give you a hug Mm -hmm. and you just want someone to say, I'm here for you. You don't want them to try to solve it. Mm -hmm. And so there are interesting responses. I realized I had this community of people around me who felt like they didn't do enough. That's in a way sweet. Like it, it's not their fault. No. And now I can look at it that way. But in the moment, it was kind of infuriating. So I'm like, you're making this about you. Mm. Yeah. it. That's kind of how it went. And now I can comfortably tell my husband, like, oh, I think I'm depressed. And he's like, I think you are too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's something that I now, and I talk about it with my mom now, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just... I'm, I'm like, I still call it kind of a funk with her, but, um, it feels good. And my friends know and are very supportive with it. And it's hard with me. They can't tell because I'll still act the same around them. Mm -hmm. And I put on a front and bubbly and chatty, but I just don't make plans. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like for you? I'm trying to remember when I told my mom, my mom is like, she's from Alabama, very Southern. Mm -hmm. She has struck. She would tell you she has struggled with depression throughout her, her life. Will Mm -hmm. she ever do anything about it? No. 
Yeah. You know, she's like part of this like generation of like, suck it up. Yeah. Suffering. You'll be fine. Everything will be all right. You know, it's Uh like this like steel magnolias like mentality. Yes. Which I can appreciate. But my father's side has a history of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so does my dad. Mm hmm. And I knew growing up that he had taken medicine for a chemical imbalance. Mm -hmm. I think we had talked about this before. In my late 20s, when I was really at the lowest point, probably, of my mental health, I called him and I asked him about taking meds. And I've never heard my dad be so open about anything. Mm. It was weird. Mm -hmm. He's also from, from Mississippi, this generation of like, power through mm-hmm. and, you know um pray about it yeah put he, your head down and yeah uh-huh he was like yeah i've taken meds or you know what's mm-hmm. going on and i kind of told him what everything that was happening and he said you know it may take a cocktail of different meds to get it right it's not mm-hmm. a it's not you know a one size fits all situation and that to me was like pretty comforting mm-hmm. So in, I think in a way, me telling Such my dad. helpful advice too. Yeah. Because it's the truth. You think you try it once and it didn't work and so you're done, but no. So many people I've had, I've heard have that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tried meds for a couple of weeks and it made me feel weird. So I stopped. Yeah. I can't wasn't tell you right how many. Thing. Yeah. It wasn't the right med. It happened to me. Yeah. I mean, it happened to me. I was taking Prozac too and it just stopped working. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. I think, don't you think it's so helpful when people talk about it, because Mm -hmm. when you're in that mode of trying to figure out what it is that you're dealing with, you're like, what is this? Am I being ungrateful? What do I, I don't have anything to be sad about. Yeah. You know, when you're going through this, but then you hear that someone else, like if your dad had kept that a secret, you were, you would think you're the, you know, you're the oddball out for feeling this way. You wouldn't know Mm -hmm. to ask him questions about this, but you know, Yeah. He had talked about it. And the more we talk about it with our friends and our loved ones, the more it serves as a tool for us to figure it out and feel okay with it. Yeah. And depression is incredibly common. Mm -hmm. In 2020, an estimated 14.8 million adults aged 18 or older had at least one major depressive episode with severe impairment in the past year. Mm-hmm. That is 6% of all adults in the United States. And I mean, that has to be a gross underestimation. Because because, that has to be people who have reported. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I would be so curious to see like male versus female because... I think women, there there was a statistic on here. I think it was almost double. Yeah. And it's, is that because we suffer more with it? Or because we're more open about it? Yeah. I mean... Well, you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my husband, Connor, like he struggled with depression in high school severely Mm -hmm. and didn't know how to get help. And he told me that he just learned to compartmentalize. I was like, oh, God, I wish I could just turn my brain off in different (laughs) sections. All right. I've had enough of you for one day. I think that's also a good point is that everyone's is different. Everyone's Mm -hmm. experience is incredibly different and everyone's path to, 
to finding their way through it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't compare it to others because you're probably, you're like, I don't like to say your illnesses, but like your neuroses are probably different than his were. Like your triggers were probably different than his. Yeah. So maybe he was able to just turn his off in a way where he didn't go around something that made it difficult or, mm-hmm. you know, we're all so different in that way. So I think that's why it helps to not try to heal it for someone else and cure it for someone else. Yeah. Also, I think a general, I think a general, a good general response to someone kind of rebuttaling your, your vulnerable moment is to say like, you know, I believe me, I've asked myself all of these questions. I have already gone through all of the things that you're probably thinking and that has not helped me. Mm-hmm. So what would help me is just your support, mm-hmm. um, like a hug. I don't need, I'm not asking for advice right now. Mm-hmm. I just am letting you know. Um, and I feel like it's important to tell you and for you to be there for me if I need support. Yeah. And it's kind of telling them that you don't need all of the advice that they're about to give you. It's kind of stopping it before it's doing so in a way that's still respectful. Yeah. Um, and letting them know what you need. So what I need is like a hug. What I need is for you, um, to maybe not question, my job or to not question this relationship or question my any choices choices that you're making and just to to be there for me and I'll let you know if there's like a specific need that I have yeah boom it was nothing you did yeah it was nothing like sort of relinquish them from any responsibility and the need to try to fix it yeah definitely yeah telling your spouse is different do you think well I think it depends I think some men, I mean, we're clearly married to men, so we only have the insight into that type of relationship. But I think some, there are men who are in touch with their feelings or who may be open about this topic already. And there are some men who still kind of have the mentality that our parents' generation may have around feelings. So I think it could go either way. Yeah. I feel like this might, I mean, I, everybody is different, but when I told Connor, I think for the first time, his reaction was something along the lines of like, that's okay. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. He's always been really just like, figure it out. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And I think a parent's reaction can feel, it can feel more personal to them because Mm -hmm. they are your, they're the reason you're here. Yeah. Well, they take everything as a criticism to their parenting. (laughs) Oh my God, everything. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, by putting in that this has nothing to do with anything that you've done. Does any parent ever feel successful as a parent? Do you? Uh, I just there are little moments where yeah. I'm like, yes, she did something that I, yeah. um, she had two Barbies and we're like, we're getting married and they're girls. She's like, cause two girls can get married or a boy can marry a girl. And I was like, Yes, she listened. And I love that. Yeah. So there are little moments where you're like, I did good there. But then there are other moments where you're like, what the hell am I doing? I need like four parenting books, maybe to never have any more children because I'll fuck them up. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I don't want to have kids. Good I mean, God. That, I think that's a good worry. I just have to remember that in the words of Glennon, if you care about them, and how they're being raised and that, you know, they'll turn out okay. Cause you, that's really the major component. Yeah. Is just care and love. Yeah. 
But I think a big response or because I think a big feeling in sorting through your own depression and anxiety and naming it is this theory of like strength. Mm-hmm. And our parents are very much into having a strong mind, like our parents' generation. And that word to me is so triggering Yeah, because I hate feeling weak. Like even if I'm sick, I try to, I'm like, no, come on, Rachel, get through this. No, you can do it. Don't be sick. Any rest time that I may take, I feel like is weak and lazy. So if, if I submit, quote unquote, submit to mental illness and to saying that I need therapy, that I need weakness, that I actually, if I'm naming it, that I feel like it's a weakness, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, a, a loved one might kind of tell you that. Yeah. It, it might come across as like, you're being weak. What do you have to be depressed about? I'm, I mean, I remember my mom telling me that I needed to develop some mental fortitude. Mm-hmm. You need to build some mental strength. I still struggle with that. Are we a product? Are we all, you know, trying to get to the core of why we're all depressed is so exhausting because there's so, it's a jigsaw puzzle. I want to say we've been through a lot of hard shit. This is, this is like, you know, social grooming in me being like, oh, but maybe we have no other problems to worry about. So we just are like creating problems. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. We can do hard things with Glennon Doyle. (laughs) Are we going to talk about her every episode? Every episode we're talking about Glennon Doyle. Yeah. She said that depression is like a, a cocoon, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a molting It's like this period of like the summer or the winter where you go underground Mm -hmm. and you hate everything, Mm -hmm. you know, for months at a time. And then you eventually make your way out of it and everything is beautiful again. Mm -hmm. It's equipping you to handle the next phase of whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Which I think was like a helpful perspective for me because I – I struggle to understand why I like dip into these. Mm -hmm. I'm so susceptible to like ruminating on the what ifs of life. Mm -hmm. And it really puts me in a bad place. Yeah. Because you almost have to be at peace with this is where I am right now. Yeah. I'm in my cocoon. (laughs) (laughs) Which sounds exactly like, like I described it as digging myself into a hole and I'm in the hole and it's dark and I'm tired and I'm sleeping in the hole and I'm just trying to figure out how to get out. And I spend so much energy trying to get out and no one can really pull me out. But then when you're out, you're like, oh my God, I kind of forget. Like, it's so weird. I'm like on cloud nine and boop, the sun is out. And what's depression? Exactly. I've like stopped reading this book I was reading called Undoing Depression. So I was like, I don't want to read about it. I'm happy right now. Yeah. And then it's, it's the same way on the other side. When you're depressed, you're like, everything has always been terrible. <laughs> yes. Is that the name of this episode? <laughs> everything is always terrible. Has, is always terrible. But oh, I wanted to say something kind of to what you were saying. I think that's a good point to move on to how we can help people who are in that. Like, how can we help our loved ones who are in that phase? Like, how can we, maybe we see that a friend has kind of removed herself or a family member has kind of removed, they're not coming to things anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't want to, you don't see them as much. Maybe they're super quiet when you're together. They're dropping little hints that something might be wrong. 
what's an appropriate way to reach out and and help? I think this is me just speaking. Okay, yeah. I think saying something in person can be confronting. Mm-hmm. Like imagine you and I are, you know, somewhere and I'm all of a sudden like, are you okay? Hmm. Doesn't that feel like, yeah, like what did I just do to show Am them? I okay? I don't know. Am I okay? I feel like if I'm noticing someone is feeling off, I think a more productive way to maybe handle that is to send a text. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, loved seeing you yesterday. Noticed you were a little different. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. And I think like that's a more gentle way. I completely agree, yeah. Because I think if you're like, are you okay? <laughs> You're like, I'm, where did I don't I know. Yeah. No, I'm not okay. I'm going to burst into tears. Yeah. My friends did ask me that, like, how are you doing, Rachel? And we were on a girl's trip. I talked about this in the last episode. And that's, that was my tipping point was like, just, I can't even answer this without crying. I mean, we were in a place where that was acceptable. I think timing is like you said, is key. Like if you're out to dinner with someone, you don't want to be like, how are you? Because the last thing they want to do is cry in a public place. I love the idea of a text. Yeah. And I I actually have a really nice relationship with my hairdresser. Mm-hmm. And we're very open about anxiety and depression and that sort of thing. And she asked me, and I thought it was nice. She was like, how are things with you in that way? Mm, I like that. Yeah. It was like a non-confrontational way of being like, so how's your fucking depression? Yeah. <laughs> um, That's like when you ask someone who's lost a loved one and they're going through grief is you don't say, how are you? You say, how are you today? Because in the grand scheme, they're not okay. Yeah. But you know, day by day, it's different. My, my friend asked me an interesting question that I thought she asked me in person because we were on the topic and she was like, what can I do to help you or support you when you're in those moments? Like, what can I do? And it caught me off guard because I'm so alone in those moments mm-hmm. that I don't, and I had to really think about it. And I was like, what would be helping me? Because I am, I'm not going to make plans because that takes too much energy. And she was like, maybe every other week we have a walk scheduled or every other week we do a girl's night. Or if you're feeling like you just need to get out of the house, just text me to go for a walk and we'll go. And that was helpful. And I couldn't answer her right in the moment because you know, a thousand things are going through my head with it. So I think like you said, a text saying, Hey, I noticed I I haven't seen you a while. I want to check in and see how you're doing, like how you're really doing. I was just about to ask you, what is the most ideal thing someone could say to you when you are in the hole? Oh, list all the good things about me (laughs) because all I focus on are the bad things. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it can help. I'm someone who is very visual and like can be inspired by something like a sign yeah, or a mon like we talked about mantras. So if someone sent me a text and said, I think you're a really good mom. Like I can tell because X, Y, and Z or just something really kind. Yeah. And I don't think we should even do that just to our friends who are depressed. Maybe we should just do that more often. Yeah. When we're thinking about our, our friends and our, our loved ones. But I think that, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. But I was thinking about a friend who has some anxiety and we often can relate to 
to anxiety and hers is around more like world events. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, she's so good about checking in with me and I never check in with her. And I felt so bad because she's so good about it. And I was like, well, if she needs my help, she'll ask for it, which is not true. So I think doing a check-in with your friends who you know go through periods like this, do it right now after this episode. Just want to check in and see how you're doing. Or if you notice someone who hasn't quite addressed it with you yet, you could be that person for them. This is a nice segue into something that's a little different in disclosing sort of your mental state with your colleagues. Mm. Is that something that we should be doing or should not be doing. I have a unique situation. Every single one of my colleagues, including my boss, knows that I have a major issue with anxiety and depression, and I'm Mm -hmm. extremely open about it. I have to say it has been met with like total kindness and permission. So how did you tell them? I think it started with a conversation. I was struggling emotionally. We talk about it all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. If the stats, like we're saying, are accurate and, like we said, grossly underestimated, then the person we're confiding in and the colleagues we're confiding in most likely have felt the exact same way. Yes. I think there's going to be a lot of understanding. Yes. Yes. And I actually, another colleague asked me, which I thought was such a nice question. I've never been depressed, but what is, how does it feel? Like, is it, like, is it a daily and, and like just describing it to her was mm-hmm. like kind of nice, Yeah, you know, because not everyone, people don't typically ask like, how does it feel for you? Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's highly empathetic to say, what is your experience? For sure. And she's probably also doing that to make a note of how she can help you when she can check in with you. 100%. And it's just, I'm a big advocate for sharing that side of your life with your colleagues. Yeah. And I think it's key to like the stigma. Mm -hmm. Like I always say, I say this all the time. You would have no problem calling your boss saying I have a cold. I can't come in. Why can't we say, hey, I'm so depressed today. I need a couple days. I completely agree. It's your brain. Like your fucking nose running is less, is more important than your brain. But here's the thing. There's this huge, which I cannot stand, this huge talking point of like this generation, nobody wants to work anymore. That is not true. I know. And it's like, if you want me to do my best work, give me two days. Like I think companies moving to the four day work week, like yeah, companies are recognizing burnout is higher than ever. Yeah. And if they want productive employees that are loyal and that stick around, they need to address this. Absolutely. Maybe it's like <laughs> this irritates. <laughs> I think this irritates the shit out of Brian, but if I see a problem, I'm like, let's fix it. How can we change it? Like, Hence this podcast, like, what can we do to fix it? And it's like, go to HR and say, this is something I've been experiencing. You know, a couple of colleagues have told me the same thing. How can I help you guys create a culture here that is empathetic of this, where bosses understand, where you're given almost a script for what to say when it happens. Mm -hmm. It's almost like some of the top tier bosses are like, oh, they just never want to get work done or they just don't want to do work or it's just an excuse. They're being lazy. It's like training that needs to happen within a company. And I think it could be really interesting to partner with HR on trying to work through that with them. I also think like if you have the balls, the cojones to tell your boss, like oh I'm not feeling it. Yeah. To me, if I was managing somebody and they said that to me, that's very self-aware. Yeah. Number one. Number yeah. two. 
Thank you for telling me Mm -hmm. you're trusting me with this very personal information. Mm -hmm. Number three, see you Thursday. (laughs) You know, let me know what I can take off your plate. Right. Yeah. Like that to me is such, it's like so much healthier than let me, let me slog through this work and do it 50% Mm -hmm. and hate it and feel terrible and go to sleep at 6.15. And when you're in that, when you're in that depression, when you're in that, when you're having that anxiety, that crippling anxiety, doing anything feels like it takes so much energy. I know. Like even trying to figure out how to switch my med took me like two months Yeah. because I was like, I don't know who to reach out to. How do I even, I don't want to go in for an appointment. How do I find someone? Like it took me that long because I just didn't have the energy. I remember seeing Sarah Barillas. She like posted this little pill in her hand and had this beautiful caption, which was talking all about how she finally took the jump to take meds. And it was with the help of her therapist and her community and her loved ones. And she's finally can be happy again. And I remember seeing that being like giving that was kind of my, I reposted it and I was like, this is my way of telling my entire community that I, that mm-hmm. I am depressed. Mm-hmm. And it felt sometimes you don't, those individual conversations are really hard. Mm-hmm. Once you have them though, mm-hmm. you can have more of them and yeah. you'll realize very quickly that you are 1000% one of many. Yes. Yes. It helps. Like it's the tiny story shared over time that kind of gives you the courage to do it. Congrats. You made it to the end of our show. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and leave a review. If you didn't like it, don't worry about it. It will only cause us to spiral. We also want to reiterate that we are not experts, but please do call or text the people at the new mental health hotline at 988 because they are. Join in on the conversation on our Substack page at One Fry Short Pod. See you there.